The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hour, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about all sorts of issues regarding privacy, and especially as a chief privacy officer. And we have one of my most wonderful experts to come back on our show today. And I want to tell you about Barb Lawler. And Barb is the chief privacy officer, in fact, the first chief privacy officer at Intuit. And previously, she was the first privacy officer, chief privacy officer at HP, Hewlett Packard. So we are just thrilled. We think she just walks on water. She's an extremely bright, wonderful, and just really um, cares about customers and consumer privacy. So let me tell you a little bit about her background, if you didn't hear her before. Barbara Lawler is the first chief privacy officer at Intuit, and you know that Intuit makes TurboTax, QuickBooks, Mint, and other online financial service programs. I'm thrilled to be able to use my QuickBooks. It's easy, and it works for me all the time. And she is responsible for leading the implementation of data storage stewardship, including privacy by design and ethical data data use accountability. And this benefits customers because it increases their trust in the products. We've got financial service products, and it also helps to um, build the business. She leads a global program that collaborates directly with product development and data scientists to develop and deliver practical guidance and innovative decision-making tools, and Intuit is tied for the for first place as the most trusted company for privacy in America in 2007 and has finished in the top 10 since 2006. And in fact, when she was the chief privacy officer for Hewlett-Packard, HP was chosen as the inaugural most trusted company for privacy back in 2004. So she is, she's a mover and shaker and I could go on forever, but I just want to tell you she has participated and and volunteers and gives much of her time to many privacy and information policy leadership groups, including the Executive Committee of the Center for Information Policy Leadership. For the Poneman Institute RIM Consul Advisory Board, she is the chair and has been for many years, and the Trustee Advisory Board and the Future of Privacy Forum, and on and on and on. She's testified in Congress and the Federal Trade Commission, and from my perspective. I just adore her. I think that she is a wonderful mentor for 
so many of us in the privacy profession. And so I want to thank you so much, Barb, for joining us uh, this Monday morning. You're wonderful. Well, Maury, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be able to talk with you today about some of the really interesting and, and challenging and exciting issues around privacy and data protection. Yeah. Now, you've been around a long time doing this. How is it that you first did get into privacy as an expertise? I got into privacy in 1999, which is very much the early days, at least what we think about modern privacy and data protection. And you know, really, it started very simply and, dare I say, innocently, where I uh, was looking to do something different when I was at Hewlett-Packard, and I wanted to stay in the forefront of technology and new issues. And, and I've always liked building and creating programs. And privacy was one of the opportunities to build and create what essentially I was asked to do was create a world-class program at HP, and it was a job for some reason no one else was really interested in, and I just looked at it and said, wow, I think I know what to do here, and I know how I can help the company and how I can help our customers. And from there, it just grew over time, and I think what worked for me and I think what still works for me today as a Chief Privacy Officer is that I bring a breadth of experience that includes you know, long-standing work directly with technology, and particularly online systems, uh, customer-facing systems, and actually really having that, that customer empathy. Uh, and that was everything from, from sales to data management, database management before it was even called that. Uh, but also, you know, a, a sense of what, what's important to customers, what's important to consumers, what do they care about, uh, and how that actually in a trusted relationship benefits not just the customer but the, the company as well. Yep, you've been in, in a tremendous innovator, that is for sure. So as, you know, now you've you've led two major companies as chief privacy officer, and we have students sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and they go, wow, that sounds like a fascinating profession. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what is your day like? <laughs> it must just, you know, to be this global <laughs> privacy officer. Uh, well, probably like many contemporary jobs, particularly in technology companies, but I think this is more and more true everywhere. There, there's no one single day that's like another, and for me, that's what makes it interesting and exciting. I think if I were to take a step back and give you highlights, let's say over a period of a month or so, uh, there's a part of my time that uh, is very much focused on looking at what's happening in the world around privacy and data protection. Mm-hmm. You know, all you need to do is follow mainstream media, although when I started, Privacy was not a topic covered in mainstream media. Right. Uh, today, it's really everywhere. Um, so looking at and reading, studying what's happening from a regulatory perspective, what are consumers saying, uh, what are employers and, and companies saying, and not just in the United States, but, but around the world. Uh, there's a significant amount of news and changes. There's court cases. There's regulatory enforcement actions. So there's a lot to learn. So I think that also translates into you really have to have a lifelong learning and teaching uh, approach and mentality in this kind of role. You've got to be willing to go out and learn and read every day and then be able to translate that to engineers, to attorneys, to marketers, uh, to product managers, and to data scientists. Uh, So that's one part of my day is learning, reading, researching, translating back. Uh, Another part of my day is what I would call operational, which is sort of running the privacy program, the privacy team itself, 
Uh, I have a small staff that I'm very fortunate to have, a very, very senior uh, experts in, in a range of that field. And so that's typically working with them on different projects that they're running across the company. So one might be around you know, raising our game on compliance strategy and, and verifying uh, that, w- that we're meeting our privacy policies and commitments. Um, building technology and tools around that. Uh, We're building this really exciting tool that we've been adding to for the last year uh, that's based on an internal database tool that that we also sell. Uh, But that tool is actually aimed at product engineers, product managers, data scientists, marketers, where they have questions every day about, can I use data this way? Mm -hmm. Uh, What are my limitations? What are the expectations? And so the tool takes them through a really simple set of decisions. They can finish it in about 60 seconds and get answers to 50 to 60% of really commonly asked questions. And we see across the board, there's a lot of questions that professionals and other parts of the company uh, ask over and over again, but they don't know it's been asked many times. So this really helps them move quickly, be effective, and also be confident that they have the right answer. So there's that tools component. In looking at the external world and what we're doing internally, I spend time with our corporate and government affairs organization, and uh, together we partner on what are our policy approaches and decisions when it comes to public policy, uh, to thought leadership. Uh, I spend a part of my time uh, working with some of those uh, outside organizations, uh, the Information Accountability Foundation, Center for Information Policy Leadership, where together we're working on frameworks that make sense for consumers and businesses to be accountable and ethical. Uh, and then there's, of course, the day-to-day things that everybody does, which are around you know managing the budget, uh, working on other uh, organizational projects. I spend a fair amount of time with our information security organization because they're a critical partner for us. Uh, because if we're not securing the data, uh, we're not having good privacy. Oh, my gosh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Mm. Just hearing that. I'm invigorated. (laughs) (laughs) So you're an interpreter, you're a mediator, you're a tool designer, you're a thought leader, you're a budget analyst for your own department. Oh my gosh, that is, but it is, it's exciting. I know, I know you're invigorated and I know that just um, energizes you because I see you and I know you and I know that this is just exciting for you and it's wonderful for the companies that you've worked for as well. Okay, so let's say this gets, you know, some of the students on campus excited or some of the professionals who are driving by who say, wow, this sounds great. So what kind of training? I mean, this you are multifaceted here. What kind of training do you suggest that someone gets, classes that they take or whatever that they need to do to become a, a successful chief privacy officer? So Mari, that's a really interesting question and there are a couple of different ways to approach it and you know, this is very much my point of view. I, I think other very senior people in privacy might have slightly different perspectives. You know, I come from uh, a set of experiences and approach that you heard me describe earlier that are from uh, a business strategy, customer strategy, data and technology approach. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one way to get to a leadership role in privacy. Uh, I'll expand on that in just a moment. 
another path that we're seeing more and more common, uh, you may have gathered, the audience may have gathered, I am not an attorney. Uh, one of the most significant growth areas and educational paths are in the legal field. Uh, and I think that's a great, can be a great complement to other experiences and skill sets. But I think really, truly to be an effective privacy strategist and privacy leader, uh, certainly for large multinational organizations or even medium-sized ones, uh, I think it takes more than just understanding the law and policy because a lot of what we do is interpretation and adaptation every day where there isn't really clear-cut guidance or there's uh, a set of here's what you should do but not how, which frankly is better for most of us because it gives us the flexibility to adapt to company business models and company culture. So I think there there are there's a technology and engineering path that's developing. Right. So for example, there are major universities now that have security or cybersecurity. Now we're talking about privacy, but there's a strong component uh, that is growing in the privacy field that is very technology-oriented. So yeah. I think understanding how mobile technology, how the web works, how the Internet works, uh, how connected devices work and will work in the future, that those are important foundations. Uh, having an important foundation in, I would say, communications. You can have the best technology or legal education in the world, but if you cannot communicate effectively verbally and in writing in one-on-one or in larger or small group settings uh, with peers, uh, with individuals that work or support you, uh, and also with leaders and executives or with policymakers, it really a broad set of communication skills are, are really fundamental. Mara, you and I were at a, a conference a few, uh, uh, several weeks ago now, um, and we were talking about what are the skill sets and what, what are the, the things that folks need to train on. And, and someone said, and this was actually on the information security side, which is much more technical than the privacy side, uh, and, and that uh, chief information security officer said that he thought the number one important skill set was soft skills, communication, and being really empathetic with individuals, whether they were customers or employees uh, or, or peers. And I thought that was really an interesting, profound statement because we tend to focus on the technology side or on you know, the, the, the legal and policy side. But I think the magic is in, in that communication and empathy that really uh, connects it like glue all together. That makes so much sense, and I know for a long time, a lot of the people in the uh, security field didn't have that communication skill, and so that that hurts them when they try and get um, budget money from from boards and all that. So they have to learn that too. And I think you're right that that intersection or that marriage of technology and security and privacy all together really are important as we go forward because. Everything that we're seeing in terms of technology, the privacy people have to understand that, and the technologists really have to understand privacy. So as you as an interpreter and a mediator, that uh, that goes a long way to making some really successful programs. Now, when we're and, talk- of, and of yeah. course, uh, just, just I was thinking as you were talking, of course, the, that strong set of communication skills is great in any field, whether you want to be a CPO or a CISO or, or, or really anything in an organization in a leadership role. You've got to be really good at that. And it's something that I still work on every day. Yes, 
And we all have to work on that. That's, you know, communication skills are so important that, that what is being sent is being heard and being understood. And I, I think it is important when one of the things that, that I know you do so well and those who are really successful as CPOs are those who can interpret what the security people are saying and bring that to the others, the marketing people, and bring the privacy issues so that everybody can collaborate together. And, and uh, so mm-hmm. that's what you do really beautifully, and uh, that's why you're a great leader. So let me Thank ask you. you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So um, for companies, though, that, that don't have someone like you, and they're driving by, you know, we're in this little area that's like a, a, a mini, um, you know, technology area. Liso Viejo is nearby, which is mm-hmm. like a mini Silicon Valley and, and Irvine also. So for those young companies that, that don't have a CPO yet, what kinds of things can you suggest to them that they need to be careful about and what they should be doing? I think the fundamental thing for really any company of any size, but given you may not have you know, a privacy leader or a privacy strategist, is first and foremost, understand what types of data about individuals that you're collecting and storing and where that is. So some people would refer to that as data flows or data mapping or a data or system inventory, but something where you know what you have, where it is, because then that will drive and determine or should how you're protecting that. And sometimes that can be as simple if you're working with with paper, which is still very common in small and medium organizations, whether you're a commercial entity or um, a public entity, a nonprofit entity. Uh, and that's as simple as you know, not leaving material out. Uh, it's as simple as creating a, I would say, a culture or a mindset that information needs to be protected and secured. I think when you're using computers, it's simple things, and maybe not so simple. What Sometimes what's simple is not obvious. Right. Uh, having password protection on devices. You know, as we see mobile devices, uh, often the dominant tool in the workplace, even more than, let's say, portables or laptops. Um, you know, ensuring that those things are locked, both physically, in the case of your portable device, uh, keep it with you. Uh, my teenage daughter has a great recommendation which she says how could people hack your phone or not hack your phone but you know use your phone in ways that isn't appropriate because i always lock my phone and i always keep it with me and i don't leave it out right um and most of the time that's true um but i think that's good advice for, for any organization um having clear limits on who can also access data Right. Uh, particularly sensitive data, uh, if it's about uh, customers and uh, their location, their financial information, if there's health information, of course, all of those are regulated as well. Uh, there are some great resources out there, whether it's uh, from organizations like Trustee. Uh, actually, the Federal Trade Commission has great resources on you know basic things that businesses can do for creating fundamental, simple policies. You know, and it's actually designed for organizations that don't have full-time professionals working on information privacy or information security. Right. You know, I think one of the, the big pieces of advice, which works in both uh, 
a corporate setting, but also a personal setting, and this is something that we're just seeing a lot right now, is to be aware that user login credentials, so think your username and password, Mm -hmm. uh, those are really easy to figure out. Those are really easy to fake, and many companies and many individuals use the same combination of username and password over and over and over again across multiple accounts or in a corporation across multiple systems. And that makes it so easy for the cyber criminals or just someone with bad intent, which could right. be an internal actor, to, to get into systems or get into places and misuse data or steal data that they have no right to just because um, you know, some, an organization hasn't been as rigorous as possible. And you know, we as consumers, you know, we're, we are driven by ease and convenience, and that can make us uh, unintentionally vulnerable. Right, right. When speaking about vulnerability, I know you have two kids, so b- both of them college age now, and that's pretty exciting. And I know that I, one of them has been on our show, and um, I met both of your kids, and they're brilliant. And they are pretty privacy conscious. Of course, how could they not be having you as a mom? <laughs> but, you know, we have all these students here on the University of California campuses, and I, I wonder what kinds of suggestions you have for them them to protect their privacy and things that you discuss with your own kids. Could you share some of that? Definitely. Yeah, and I actually would start with what I just mentioned, which is lock your cell phones, password protect, uh, also put in place, uh, depending upon what kind of cell phone or smartphone you have, uh, make sure you have something in place so that if it gets lost, that you can wipe the data yes. uh, so that someone can't take that. I think that's really important. Um, in using social media, uh, this has been said many, many times in, in many ways, but uh, it's, it's critical to understand that even when you post something and de- then delete it, it, it's still out there somewhere on the Internet, or as my daughter calls it, the interwebs. <laughs> and, and, and it's hard when you're having fun with your friends sometimes to think about, oh, this is fun, this is great, and then look at it later and go, ah, damn, I really don't want that up there. Uh, and, and you can take things down. And in the state of California, you actually have a right to request something be removed if there's not another way to take it down. Um, but that's not true in other parts of the country. So um, it's as simple as think before you post, and particularly because of photos. Yes. And, you know, sometimes as a college student or as a young person, and sometimes I see this in adults, uh, uh, much older adults as well, there's this tendency to overshare. And, again, particularly with photos, and I think you have to think about what is your public persona, what is your public brand, and that what you think is cool and interesting and fun, uh, a prospective employer, uh, the next level of educational institution, if you're planning on going for a master's or a Ph.D., uh, anything that's public. Right. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't realize that when they post pictures, lots of times their default is set to that globe, let's say on Facebook, mm-hmm. which means it's public. Um, so just having good basic privacy settings in any of the social media you use is really important. You know, uh, I even, think just, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, even if you just post to your friends, you could have a friend that's going to repost that. So. A, friend, a friend can. It, it depends upon the settings that you actually have and what's actually allowed. So oh, okay. I've, I've experimented with that. And okay. uh, it, uh, what I see, you know, my kids use more and more of are the private groups. And actually, it's, it's, you can't share something out of a private group. Uh, the links don't work because we've tried. You know, we pressure tested that. Oh, good. Um, 
Um, but it doesn't mean that that might not change at some point. And, and, you know, that's just one type of social media. There's other types. But you know, it's not really just about social media. I think it's also being uh, aware of it's almost fundamental personal safety and security issues. It's being aware of who your friends are, where you are physically. So um, I think thinking about when you want location services on versus off, Right. And using your mobile devices. So, so very technology. You know, my advice is really technology-oriented. Have great passwords. Be careful what you share. Uh, be thoughtful about how others are perceiving you. Right. And, and if there's you know, one more thing that, that I would add to that is that it's a little bit of be careful what you share, but it's, it's less, less is more. Mm-hmm. You know, Mm-hmm. You know, I think what's different about privacy, and this isn't just a college-age kid's advice, but what's different about privacy and how we think about it is it's much more me-centered. It's much more you-centered. It's how an individual relates and interacts with multiple sites and services and people. Yes. And you know, the old model of privacy was very one-to-one. It was very binary. It was person-to-company or company-to-person. Right. And, and so I think that just creates a different dynamic. Uh, and, you know, if you're in college right now, this is a great time because there's so many exciting things happening with technology. And it's just understanding, you know, take some time to understand how it works together. Yes. Well, you know, we're seeing, and this is an, this kind of brings up another issue about the exciting things that are coming up, like the wearables, you know, uh, for exercise or the Google Glass or whatever. So mm-hmm. what are some of the risks and benefits Benefits of these wearables. So I'm going to start with benefits because so often when you read about uh, about these things, you read about the risks. So you know the benefits, uh, particularly when we think of devices that that help us be healthier, be more active, understand where we need to do something maybe differently or more of or less of. So I think you know fitness wearables. Uh, those kinds of things really provide a lot of opportunity for real-time understanding and feedback. Yeah. Uh, I think particularly the, the intersection of, let's say, personal health, not so much healthcare in a hospital or at a doctor's office, but personal health and well-being and the technology to give you real-time feedback uh, is, is I, th- I think it provides tremendous benefit, not only to the individual, but even to society as a whole if we mm-hmm. become a more health a more healthy society. Right. You know, things like Google Glass, you know, are, are designed to do something different, but when we, uh, and more broad and, and less uh, less you know, health and wellness specifically. Um, and so we look at, it, it's that access to instant information and sort of technology integrated into one's daily life and world. And so instant information, instant connectivity, uh, instant connection with friends, individuals, places. You can learn more, see more, do more, more quickly. Um, I think the challenge with that is maybe not risk, but challenge is cognitive overload. Yes, that's, that's uh, a real tough one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the human brain is wired in ways to actually manage and sort a lot of cognitive input, which can be visual hearing, you know, reading, absorbing, physical interaction with things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the brain will prioritize what it hears. And so you may not realize, for example, that you, know, you are being shaped by all of those different cognitive inputs. 
So I think then the flip side of that is you got, you've got to take some time to disconnect. So whether that's, you know, jogging, meditating, or, you know, doing something that is, I would say, analog or non-technology based actually is important, whether it's, it's, uh, a, a healthcare wearable or whether it's, you know, some of these other navigation tools. You know, something that, you know, a smartwatch that, that helps you, you know, talk, talk, talk and do too many things at once. Yeah, um, yeah. So being able to disconnect. And, and the risks are, you know, so we've really talked about wearables and, and the interaction with humans, but wearables are interacting with uh, certain aspects of the Internet and online and wireless infrastructure. And some parts of that infrastructure is not as secure as wired infrastructure or other parts of the Internet that's more web-based. Um, even smartphone uh, or cellular phone infrastructure. So uh, there are risks and vulnerabilities just with the fact that the smart device, the connected device may be secure, but the infrastructure that it's connected to may not be. So uh, you know, we hear these a little bit as, as more than urban legends, but less than common now. But you know, these create opportunities for, uh, unfortunately, someone with perhaps negative intent uh, someone who's a stalker, cyber criminal, uh, not to just gather information about you, but gather information about you and your friends in a way that ultimately could lead to identity theft or just information theft that then could be a part of larger scams and schemes. Well, I hate to end on that note, but but, but we did hear the good stuff first. <laughs> but we are out of time, Barbara. We could speak for hours. You are just wonderful. We've been speaking with Barbara Lawler, who is the Chief Privacy Officer of Intuit. If you want to just give your website, it's time for us to go, Barb. Okay. Thank you, Mara. This was great, and uh, hopefully we can continue the conversation in the future. Yes. Uh, you can l- learn more about what we do at Intuit.com, and if you go to security.intuit.com, you'll see all kinds of information about about protecting your business, protecting your identity, uh, being safe and secure online from both a privacy and a security perspective. And Intuit is so lucky to have you, and I'm so glad that you've been on our show. Thank you so much, Barb. We'll have you back again real soon, okay? Thank you so much, Mar. I really uh, enjoyed the opportunity to talk with you today. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at... 8 a.m. right here on KUCI. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.